You are listening to Aim for the Bushes. I am your podcast person, Pavlo, also known as Pav, also known as Pavi, also known as JPav. And with me, as always, is my recording partner, Maggie the Mags, here with me, uh, watching the sound as she does. And yeah, we have another episode, shocker, I know, for you today to listen to. We're going to talk about a couple of things, sports-related things, because you know I love sports and talking about sports and complaining about sports. Uh, no, I'm not complaining about sports, but talking about their impact on society, because I think uh, sports are play a big role uh, in society, in our society today. And you can see that by the fact that, you know, these are people that play sports for millions of dollars, so... You know, I think that says that uh, we place a high value on them. And yeah, so just before we get into it, my, I guess, not daily since we don't do this daily, but my weekly reminder, I guess you can say that, about our opinions that I express or others may express or hold uh, are just that, just our opinions. So if you disagree with anything that I say, you're totally welcome to disagree. This is not to say that whatever viewpoint I espouse, that is the only correct viewpoint. First thing, first thing we're going to talk about is uh, the Women's World Cup, which is going on right now in France. And uh, there was a game the other day. I didn't watch it live because it happened during the work week and I was at work. But the U.S. played Thailand, so I don't know if you're aware of this, but the U.S. played Thailand. U.S., I think they're ranked number one. It would make sense since they won the last World Cup four years ago. That was here in Canada. They had a couple of matches in Montreal. I didn't see them then, but uh, I watched it on TV, but I didn't actually go to any games in person. So they won the last one. Uh, so they're a pretty good team. They've won three uh, World Cups. So, you know, good team, good team. All around. And so they played Thailand, which I think this is their first World Cup. So they're not they're not a particularly good team. I don't think they're expected to, to do anything. But anyways, the U.S. played them and beat them. 13 nothing. And, okay, wow, yeah, 13 nothing. They, uh, they got killed out there, which is fine. I don't know what happens. You have a dominant team, and Thailand is relatively new to the sport. So that happens. That's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, but uh, some people took issue. Uh, I saw things on the internet where, uh, especially the Canadian broadcast, but I think other people were also making comments about this. I think also on, on some American uh, channels uh, where they were saying, why did they have to score so many goals? Right? Like, kind of like it was unsportsmanlike or it was like disrespectful to the Thai team. To score that many goals. Now, some people defended it by saying that there's a goal differential in case there's a tie in the group stages. So it is important how many goals that you score uh, because the two teams in the group, the U.S. and Sweden, are both, those are the two teams that are expected to move on to the next round. So if Sweden plays Thailand and also kill them by like a huge amount as well, then the, the amount of goals that each team has scored co could come into play if the U.S. and Sweden tie each other when eventually they, they face each other. So there was that aspect. The other aspect I think more people were complaining about, uh, and also like in the Canadian broadcast, I saw a clip. It's been taken down now, so I can't link to it. If I find it, I'll put it in the show notes. But I saw it briefly, and then now, now it's been taken down, so I can't I can't go back and rewatch it, and I don't think I'll be able to share it. They were basically saying that like 
it was disrespectful or unsportsmanlike for the U.S. team to have celebrated, uh, you know, especially like when, when you're scoring your 13th goal, running up and high-fiving everyone and, like, sliding in the grass and, like, you know, like, I understand. Like, they, the American team has, like, defended it by saying, like, oh, we're on, like, the world's biggest stage. Like, you know, this is what we prepare for. This is what we do. Like, I, and I understand that. But I think there's a difference between when you've scored, like, the first couple of goals, let's say, and the 13th goal. By, by the time when you're at 13, there's no doubt about who's winning this game. And I'm trying to think to other sports or other times there's been a huge uh, run up in goals. Normally, the other team, the team that's winning, like they score, they like, yeah, we scored, but tends to be restrained. So people are, uh, I think, uh, fairly are criticizing them for, for, for doing that for celebrating so hard like that you know it's not it's not like you're this is like the gold medal game it's tied it's an overtime although in soccer they don't have overtime really this isn't the go-ahead goal this isn't like oh it's a tough deadlock you know moment and we finally broke through and scored by the end of the first half it was four nothing already the u.s like the game's over at that point four nothing like in soccer and they scored Let's see. In the in the second half of the game, within the last like fifteen or twenty minutes, scored six goals. So I didn't watch the game, but looking at the amount of times that they scored, especially towards the end, I'm guessing that the Thai team was probably got tired because uh, they scored like like I said, within the last fifteen minutes or so, six goals, which is a lot. And so I've been reading a number of articles, a couple on Deadspin, which I will share, and one on CBC, which I will also share or put in the show notes there, basically justifying it, saying that. Uh, the headline here, I'll read the headline for the Deadspin article. Yeah, so the headline is the U.S. national women's team blowout of Thailand inspires indignant pearl clutching from Canadian soccer pundits. So basically they're dismissing the idea that they should be questioned at all for for that because the like the American, uh, sorry, the Canadian commentators basically said that it was uh, unsportsmanlike, which I think it is. I think it is to, you know, throwing it all up there in your celebrations. Like I said, when it's already the game's already over. Like it's it's just unnecessary. And I understand that. Yeah, you're in the World Cup, and you obviously want to score and win. But like, it. I don't know. To me, it's just like you're already like the the, the end of the game is already not in doubt. Like you know you're gonna win, so I, I don't see the point. Like be happy you scored, sure, but. I wouldn't take it that far. It's like, what's the challenge there? Usually when you like you score, you're happy because, you know, it was a tough thing to do. Normally it's not easy to score a bunch of goals or whatever in soccer or hockey or football. But when it's 13 nothing, like that's not you know, that's like, okay, yeah, we did it. You can just run up and score. Like, I don't see the point in that. You know, like it, it to me, it's it, it's excessive, and I don't think there's, I don't think you can defend it. Like, obviously, it's not the worst thing in the world ever. Like, that's not what I'm saying, but I just don't think it's something that's absolutely necessary to do. And then the other thing in the CBC article, Abby Wambach is a player on the American team. She defended it. She insinuated that uh, the criticism levied against the the team comes from a place of sexism, which I disagree with. Like, even right now, I am looking at a picture of Megan Rapinoe sliding. This is after the ninth goal. Like, this major showboating for no no justifiable reason. Like, that's excessive. That's excessive. Like, it just is. 
like I said, it's not the worst thing ever, but it's excessive. And, you know, it wasn't just the Canadian uh, crew on, like, I think it was TSN. I'm not sure who has the broadcast rights. That's a whole other thing. We'll talk about another day, copyright and all that stuff. Some other Americans also did say that. And other people on, like, Twitter and stuff did criticize them for their goal celebrations. Yeah, so she also, Wambach, uh, yeah, insinuated, this is from the, the article, it says she also questioned whether there was an element of sexism in the criticism. I don't think that people are criticizing them because they're women. No one's saying you can't celebrate or it's not ladylike or anything like that to celebrate after scoring a goal. Anything that I've read, I mean, I'm sure there are sexist people on the internet. Maybe there are sexist comments. I don't know. But most of the criticism I'm reading is not has nothing to do based on gender. I remember, I don't think it was the last World Cup. I think it was the one before when it was... Um, Oh, who was it? Germany against Brazil? Germany like beat Brazil like seven one or seven two or something, right? Completely destroyed them, dismantled them, and people had the same questions. I mean, this was more about again the necessity to score that many goals. People were like, after it was already four one or something, people were like, okay, like should Germany continue pressing and trying to score more goals? Some people thought it wasn't right. So to me, it wasn't based on. On, on the sex because it was the same issue it was yeah is it oh and this comes up too when you have big blowout leads like that people say like oh should you have done that and on some leagues generally minor leagues like little kids or whatever they have mercy rules and stuff so when you get up to like 10 points like they end the game and stuff i understand this is like a world competition the highest levels they're obviously not going to be a, a mercy rule or anything like that but the same questions were being asked. It was like people also thought that Germany should not have tried to score so many goals when they're clearly winning. So I don't think I don't think sexism has to do anything, at least not any of the arguments that I've seen. I've never seen anyone say, Oh, they shouldn't do it. You know, and then when men do it, oh, it's fine if they do it. Because no one's saying don't celebrate. Yeah, when you score the first couple of goals. Sure, celebrate. Yeah, you, you you score some goals. That's that's great. But again, when it's the thirteenth goal or more than ten, or when it's already four nothing by the half, you know, do you need to like slide in the grass and all like hug each other? Like you, because to me, you didn't really accomplish anything. When is that easy to score? That's not an accomplishment. That's nothing. I wouldn't say it's anything to be really proud of. Yeah, tough goal, um, you know, when it's, like, tie 2-2 or something or even 0-0 or, like, you just came back from, like, being down two goals and you got the go-ahead goal or something. Yeah, celebrate that. That's, that's, that's a good accomplishment. You know, it's a tough-fought victory or, you know, or comeback or whatever. But 13-0 or even when it's 4-0, that's not, I don't know, that's, to me that's not tough. That's pretty pretty simple. If you're winning, like, if your final score is 13 nothing, I understand, like, again, running up the score if for the goal differential. Okay, fine, I'll accept that. If that's going to be your justification for a tiebreaker in case that scenario pops up, okay, that's fine. Celebrating it like it's the best goal ever? No, I'm not. I'm not really down for that, though. You know, and I don't really like bringing in the sexist angle because, I mean, sexism does exist, like, for women in sports and stuff, for sure. Uh, but I just don't, I don't see it there. And I'm trying to think, like, 
even when I watch like women's hockey or whatever, and because in women's hockey, the two best teams for the most part are the US and Canada. Like every single international tournament, except for this past world international tournament and the 2006 Olympics in Torino, Italy, outside of those two events, every final has been US versus Canada. All right. And if you go back and look at their scores, uh, the U.S. and Canadian teams, when they've played a team that's not each other, so when they don't play, when they don't play against each other, on average, I would say that the Canada or the U.S. scores five goals against the opposing team. Yeah, because there's a big divide between like the teams that are the skill level between the teams, like Canada, and the U.S. at the top, and then everyone else kind of like way, way, way below, except for like Sweden slash Finland, depending. And in those big blowout wins, because sometimes they win like five, six, like I'm saying, average about five goals. I don't really see them. Like, I'm trying to think back to be like, did I ever watch a game where I saw, you know, those teams play? Because it's the only other time, really, because it does happen in men's soccer. I mean, I don't, I'm not a huge soccer fan. I don't watch every single match or whatever, but international tournaments that I watch and stuff. I'm trying to think, other than the Brazil-Germany game, like, when was there like a huge, you know lead like that and i can't really bring i mean if you find one to bring it to my attention okay fine but and even if you do and they're celebrating like their 10th goal or something like in that manner i would still say that's also wrong too regardless if it's men or women but watching like international hockey or whatever i'm like trying to think I'm like was there a time where they really celebrated like after scoring like let's say five goals i don't think so normally they score and they're like okay yeah we scored let's reset the play and that's it and you just like carry on you know so i don't know i I disagree with the sexist thing but later on we'll get into uh women's hockey in general women's sports in general so yeah we'll leave it there for now on on this particular subject because at another day we'll talk about women's sports because i do enjoy women's sports quite a bit it's very uh entertaining a lot of uh excitement there you know a lot of tense moments especially like in women's soccer i remember watching the u.s versus canada at the london olympics that was one of the most tense games of like sport (laughs) well definitely soccer that i have watched and that was a close game i think it was was it 2-2 or 3-3 it was like really close the u.s won because of their constant complaining to the ref because like i said the u.s is really good in uh in the women in women's soccer and i think the u.s in this instance in this match in uh in the london olympics was upset they were there they were they looked pretty pissed that they weren't crushing uh, the canadian team because like i said they've won three world cups at this point they only had one two and they were tied and canada i think at one point was winning like it was a very close game and and they were just like complaining to the ref about every like single thing that they did not like and they pressure. Unfortunately, uh, you may call me biased because I was going for a Team Canada or whatever. But basically, they bullied the ref into calling calls that supported them more so, because they they were just like complaining about every single thing. And I think the ref lost control of the game and was basically when the U.S. players were upset about something, they called something in their favor. But that was like very intense soccer. I was like, oof. they they stole that game. The Americans for their complaining uh, against the ref, but yeah. So 
a lot of a lot of good moments in watching uh, women's soccer there and uh so we will continue on our sports that's all i have for you on that today um on that. i just think it's bs like i said that uh, you're celebrating after scoring 13 goals just, just don't need to do it i mean yeah you know congratulate each other yeah, okay we scored but diving and like sliding like embracing each other like again it's just it's just unnecessary and i don't know and i don't agree with the fact that to consider that sexist or whatever all right so we're gonna also move to another area of sport this time basketball and if you're not aware uh currently the finals are going on as i record this when it comes out they will be over but as of now they're still going and uh, this is after Game 5 of the Golden State Warriors against the Toronto Raptors. And so uh, it's been a very intense series. I mean, Toronto's been playing very well. I did not expect the Raptors to get this far. I didn't expect them to get past Milwaukee, and they did. They were able to beat the Milwaukee Bucks. So I didn't think I'd see, see the day where they made the finals. And I didn't think they'd beat the Warriors as often as they had. I don't know. Hopefully they win Game 6. Uh, we'll see. But, yeah, I didn't think they would be up 3-1 in the series and eventually 3-2 in the series against Golden State. I thought maybe they might be tied 2-2. thought maybe Golden State would go. My biggest fear was that Golden State was going to sweep the Raptors. And then when the Raptors won game one, I was like, okay, at least it's not a sweep. <laughs> they could lose the next four games, but at least it's not a sweep. For the Golden State side, they've been kind of terrible. Like, they're obviously good. Because they, uh, you know, they've made the five straight finals in a row. They're good. But they're terrible in the sense that, like, they're really bad on defense. Apparently, from the uh, analysis I've been watching, they're ranked worst in defense for the regular season and for the playoffs. And that's why Toronto's been the better team, really. The two wins that they have had, the Golden State Warriors in the series, have been close games. There are games that Toronto should have won if some of their baskets hit and all that stuff. Anyways, that's not what we're talking about. The se the series specifically, that's all. That's all fine. That's all been good. But what happened was in the second round of the playoffs for Golden State against Houston Rockets, Kevin Durant, who you could argue is one of the best players playing in the league right now, suffered an injury. In uh, I, f I forget which game it was. It could have been game three or four. Maybe it was game five against Houston, and he's been out for about a month. And then came back in game five uh, against Toronto. And I'm of the opinion that. And I think a lot of people also hold this opinion, too, from stuff I've been reading and watching. And if you go on, like, Deadspin, <laughs> there's a ton of articles on this. And I'm sure if you go on ESPN and, like, Sportsnet and TSN and all that stuff and other websites, and they probably have a bunch of stuff, too, about this. Or if you watch any of the, like, uh, sports shows, I'm sure they're all talking about this, too. And he gets hurt again. And I think that the Warriors should not have allowed Kevin Durant to play that game against Toronto, that game five. So what had happened was, in case you don't follow basketball or whatever, or you don't think understand why it's important, it's important, we'll get to it, because the employer, let's Google and say, has a responsibility to protect its players. They're not going to, because this will be a topic for another day, but like basically the role of any company, because I know it's a sports team. People think it was cultural. As I said before, it's a business at the end of the day. So it's a company. It's a business. The goal of a business is to exploit your workers for profit. That's how it works. Any job that you do, you're being underpaid. You're being undervalued. 
Now I know when you have like CEOs who make like 30 times the average worker. I'm not necessarily talking about CEOs. Even then you could also argue you're being underpaid. Whatever. Even for players who play basketball, hockey, soccer, you know, they get paid millions of dollars. Even then I would argue, even though they're getting paid millions of dollars, they're still being undervalued. Because whatever they contribute to the team, the team makes the most money. And so they don't care if you get hurt. So for someone like Kevin Durant, it doesn't matter. Because like Golden State will go on to, oh, sorry, will continue to exist. Kevin Durant may never play again. I know that's not what anyone's forecasting. I'm not saying he definitely will not play again, but he's injured. It's a pretty significant injury that what happened to him. But they will go on, basically. They will continue, whereas the person that plays, whether they played, you know, without any health issues, you know, your contributions to any company, make that company goes on once you're done, however, however you finish working there or whatever, right? So that's why you're always undervalued. Uh, well, part of the reason why it was undervalued. Anyways, basically, Kevin Durant gets hurt against Houston. So when he's hurt, I think he's just taking a shot and he was like running back. And then he kind of just like stops running and he can't put weight on his leg. I think it's his right leg. I'm not sure. And the Warriors have said he had suffered a calf strain. So before the series started with Toronto, because I wasn't really watching... The Western Conference stuff, right? Because, like, I'm a Raptors fan. I was just watching the Raptors games and stuff. Because, like I said, when they beat Philadelphia on the, in the second round and they went to face Milwaukee, I was like, oh, okay, damn, we're in the Eastern Conference Finals. Like I said, I wasn't expecting them to beat Milwaukee. I wasn't paying attention to so much what was happening in the Western Conference and Golden State. I know Golden State is good. They swept Portland. Okay, fine, whatever. It makes sense. So before the start of the series for the NBA Finals, the Golden State against Toronto, I had been watching some of the sports analyst stuff because I'm like, oh my God, the Raptors finally made it to the finals, right? After not the past couple of years, ever since they started being good uh, after 2014 in terms of making the playoffs. And I was watching one of the uh, analysts on one of the, one of the shows there, and he was saying that like, he doesn't think Kevin Durant is going to come back at all. Because when he first got hurt, they said between four to six weeks, he'll be out. And so I think at the time, at the beginning of the series, is approaching four weeks. And so one of the people I saw, he said, like, it's already four weeks now. It's probably going to be six weeks. And he said, like, I don't expect Kevin Durant to play at all. I'll, say, I'll be surprised if he plays. Because even though they're calling it a calf strain, the descriptions that Durant had said uh, about what he thought happened and where he was grabbing his leg when he first got hurt, people thought it had something to do with the Achilles. Because when he, he get, when he got hurt... He said, Durant had said that he thought someone tripped him. He thought someone from the opposing team bench had kicked him or tripped him or something. And from some of the people I've been listening to, they had said that that description of the feeling that you were tripped or someone kicked you is consistent with something with your Achilles. So people already were like, "Mm, maybe it's not a calf thing. And I thought, maybe it's the Achilles. Obviously, I will take a pause here to say I am not a doctor. Obviously, I'm not claiming to be a doctor, but and the people I listen to are also not doctors. But there are people, some of them are former players who have been around people who, who have had injuries in the calf and also the Achilles. You know, so they kind of like recognize things, but this isn't necessarily, you know, verified by like a medical person or whatever, right? As a, by a doctor. But anyway, still working off that. So it seemed like maybe something to do with the Achilles. And it's like, okay, fine. So I'm not expecting Kevin Durant to play. And as someone who wants the Toronto Raptors to win, I don't really want Kevin Durant <laughs> to play. Because he's, he's he's an amazing basketball player. 
right? He's like almost seven feet tall. He's very good. And it, it makes it more diff- difficult for Toronto to win. Now, I'm not saying the Raptors can't beat Golden State with Kevin Durant playing. Some people will say they, that they can't. Depends. I don't know. Obviously, it would shift the series. Maybe. Maybe because I still think their defense, although I think Kevin Durant helps them on defense. Like Even even with him, though, they still had like one of the worst defenses in the, in the league. And when Toronto had played Golden State and during the regular season, they played two games. Toronto won them both. One of them, Durant, was playing. And Durant scored 50 points in the game, but Toronto still beat them. Yeah, he scored 50 points, and Toronto still beat Golden State. Now, obviously, that's just you know two games that they played. One game is hard to say in this seven-game series. But I still think Toronto would have a chance. So I'm watching this. I'm thinking, okay, Durant's not going to play. Fine. Okay, whatever. I'll take that. He's hurt or whatever. Now, there's been a lot of stuff around Golden State because of Durant. So a couple of things happened. Durant used to play for Seattle Supersonics. That team moved to Oklahoma City. So he played there in Oklahoma for I don't know how many years, several years. And then he moved to Golden State a few years ago. A lot of people gave Kevin Durant shit for changing to Golden State. For a lot of people, they saw it as a cop-out for Kevin Durant to go to Golden State. Because when he joined Golden State, Golden State had already won one championship. 2015 they lost against cleveland in 2016 so over the past four nba finals has been golden state versus cleveland cavaliers lebron james and cleveland cavaliers golden state has been good they had one season in 2016 where they won 73 games or 72 no 73 games and lost nine games that's the the record before that was chicago bulls that won 72 games and lost 10 games so golden state was able to beat that uh that record that year but in the playoffs they're up 3-1 in the series against cleveland in the final and then cleveland came back to win all right and so the following year kevin durant or in that offseason i should say for the for the next season uh kevin durant joins golden state so a lot of people saw that as like as a cop-out on kevin durant's part because golden state is already this amazing team they've already won one championship they made it to the finals again the next year. They didn't win. They were close to winning. And then you have someone who's already good, who the previous series in 2016, Oklahoma, also was up 3-1 to one in the series against Golden State, and Golden State managed to come back, right? So Kevin Durant, I guess, thought, like, if he can't beat him, join him and join Golden State. But he got a lot of shit from that, from people who are Golden State fans and other people in the NBA who are NBA fans. They thought I was like, oh, okay, it's like you're already there's already like a good team, and then you're already this amazing player, and you're just gonna take the easy way out and go to Golden State to win. I, I'm not really here to argue that he can go wherever he wants if he wants to go play on Golden State. Okay, go play on Golden State. There's no rule in basketball that says you can't have good players join already good teams, right? But I understand people's frustration with that. It'd be like already like if you had like the dream team in the '92 Olympics. You know, who's like all the best, like basically best current basketball players. And then you go join that team, right? So people don't see his championship wins because Golden State the next two years in 2017, 2018, win again, right? And they face Cleveland Cavaliers to beat them both times. So people kind of see that as like, okay, well, like you're already on this good team. Uh, you've just made them better, you know? So, so this is the last year of his contract. Well, it's the second last year, but he has an out that he can do. 
He's a player option to opt out of this contract and sign somewhere else. So people were expecting him after this season to leave. Uh, as of right now, people were, or before he got hurt, people were assuming that he was going to go to New York or maybe go to L.A. I don't know. But he was going to leave Golden State, essentially. And that had caused issues earlier this season in the Golden State locker room about his pending free agency if he decides to opt out of his contract and go sign somewhere else. Which, okay, fine, I understand that. Um, it can cause issues uh, with the team. Okay, whatever. Then he gets hurt with this calf strain that the Warriors say that's what the issue is. And then the question becomes, like people as I've been reading in comments and reading articles, uh, a story came, uh, like this narrative came out, I don't know necessarily who started it, but it came out that like, is Golden State better without Kevin Durant playing? So people had argued that like, yeah, since he joined a team that was already good without him, now that he's not playing, are they better without him, right? And the, the way, uh, like, I don't watch Golden State. Uh, normally, I don't watch basketball all throughout the the year. I, I generally pay more attention to hockey, but I do pay attention, like, you know, to basketball and stuff like that. But I don't follow closely. I don't follow Golden State closely. But the style of play that the team shows on the floor is different when Kevin Durant is playing compared to when he's not playing. So Golden State, it's like two main guys outside of Kevin Durant would be Steph Curry and Klay Thompson. They're both known as three-point shooters, if you're unfamiliar with them. They basically shoot, you know, beyond the three-point line. You get it in, you get three points, basically, right? That's been their offense, and they pass the ball around a lot. And if you watch, especially Steph Curry, he runs around... It's hard to guard because he, he runs around. When he doesn't have the ball, he's moving all the time, right? So you have to stay on him. Basically, both Clay and Steph can shoot from anywhere and pretty much put it in the net. So And they're long, like I said, they're long-distance shooters, which is good because you get the extra point compared to normal basket, which will give you two points. So it can make a difference in a game, right, when you have people who can score. Because you score three threes, that's already nine points, right? So you, it can change the pace of a game. To just get nine points like that, if if you're able to if you're able to hit those right, or as opposed to scoring two regular uh, three regular baskets, that'd be six points, right? So the the the, the style of, of of the game changes between them now because they don't have Kevin Durant basically holding the ball or whatever. Uh, like I said, I don't pay attention to their style of play all that much, but from what I've read, obviously it changes when he's on the thing. They don't do all that as much. And Durant, as some people have argued, is like a really good player, right? So this question had come up. Oh, is he good? Is he a good... Is, he, is the team better? Sorry. Is the team better without him playing, right? And so Golden State goes on to beat Houston, right? After he is injured. They go on the next series against Portland. They sweep them. I didn't really watch that series because I was like, okay, whatever. The only thing interesting happened in the first round. Golden State was playing LA Clippers, which are a very good team. I think they're the eighth seed. They managed to beat Golden State twice at home because of their terrible defense. They came back from a 20 or 30 point deficit and was able to beat Golden State because Golden State, part of the season going into it is that Golden State is just going to win the series. Like they're going to win everything. Like even before the season started, they're like, yeah, they're going to win. There's no point in playing the season. Like just give it to them already. So. I think they have that on them where they become careless. And watching them in this series against Toronto, they are very bad on defense. They do stupid things. They have stupid turnovers. Like, they average, I think, more than 15 turnovers in a game and stuff like that. Like, you can't have that. Like, part of it, why they're dominant is because they're good shooters. Like I said, they're good shooters. Like, Stephen Clay, even Durant himself, he's a good, like, three-point shooter. He's someone that can take the ball up to the net and put it in really, like, 
he's an overall like really good all round player, right? So what happens is teams kind of like settle into the idea that we're not going to win, right? When you're looking at a team that good, you forget that they're beatable. It's, I'm not saying it's necessarily going to be a cakewalk. It's not going to be 13 nothing like in soccer, but they're beatable. And so I think Golden State forgets that too, right? And they did against those couple of games against the Clippers, especially the one where they had the 20 or 30 point lead. You forget what it was exactly. And, Cl- and LA came back and beat them. And I was kind of like, what? Because they got careless. They, got, they thought we're Golden State. We don't have to try, right? This goes back to the tortoise and the hare, right? You got to take every single step. So you can't give up halfway and be like, oh, we're Golden State. We don't need to defend. We score. It's, it's still the same thing. So they still have the same issues now against Toronto. They still can't really defend, which is why Toronto is leading and hopefully they'll win game six. <laughs> so anyways, they get to the final. That's expected. They beat Portland. I don't know anything about Portland. Like I said, I don't watch any of their games. So I don't know. I just know they swapped them for nothing. Toronto... And on their side, they win two games. Uh, sorry, they lose the first two games against Milwaukee. People are like, Toronto's done. They just lost two games in a row, right? They're down 2 nothing. They're over. Toronto has a history of collapsing in the playoffs. This year's a bit different because they have completely different players in terms of like their main core. But anyways, that's not evident at that point when they're down 2 nothing against Milwaukee because Milwaukee is the, I think they had the record for the best... Um, the best team record overall in the NBA. They were definitely first in the East, and I'm pretty sure they had the best record overall in the NBA. So they're good. They're good. But Toronto goes on to win the next four games in a row, and they win. And then we get to Golden State-Toronto. Toronto goes up 3-1. And before game four, so right now the series is 2-1, starting to hear talk now about Kevin Durant maybe coming back. Right, I'm still of the opinion, based on what I had heard from other people talking, that Durant's not coming back because they don't. When he gets hurt, they don't declare him out of the playoffs for the rest of the well, season, but for the rest of the playoffs, they don't declare him out, which I would have done because it seemed like he's out. I understand why they did that. They did that so like Toronto or whoever they would face in the finals has to wonder, or even in the Portland series, right? When's it going to come back? So it's something you have to plan for, right? Something to occupy your time. So they don't want to say, and, and usually in any sport, especially in the playoffs, they don't say what people's injuries are. I know for in the in the NHL, usually they'll say someone has a lower body injury or upper body injury or something like that. They don't give specifics. And then usually after the series is done, whether a team gets eliminated or they move on till the finals are done or whatever, and then they say, oh, yeah, this person had a broken foot, this person had, like, a strained finger or, I don't know, a pulled muscle or something like that, right? That's that's when they normally say that kind of stuff after that. So I understand why they don't immediately say, say that Kevin Durant is out for the rest of the playoffs because they want that. They want you to wonder, right? To say, like, oh, who's he going to come back? Something you have to plan for. It takes up a bit of your time. Something in the back of your head. So anyway, so he has his leg injury, right? Because we don't know if it's the calf or not. And then before game four, they said that they want him to practice. So basically what they had said is if he comes back, they want him to get be do a practice, be cleared for contact, do a full practice, and then come back and play, start playing. So apparently before game four, they try to practice. It doesn't work out. Apparently it was very disappointing. 
They didn't think he was where they thought he would be. Okay. Whatever. Like I said, I'm not expecting him to play at all based on not what the team has said, but what other people have said. And they said, like, based on his reaction, how he described the injury, it doesn't sound like what Golden State is saying it is. So something that's probably more serious. Don't expect him to play at all. This is Again, this is not coming from Golden State. Golden State loses uh, that game. Toronto goes at 3-1. And we have game five back in Toronto now. And then before game five, or the day before game five, it's like Kevin Durant is going to go practice. It's like, what? Kevin Durant is practicing? Okay, he does a practice, 20 minutes apparently. First person out of the practice. It wasn't even a full team practice. It was some light work, I guess. And then he's questionable for game five. I'm like, oh, well, that was fast. They, before the process that they had said was that, you know, he has to do like a full like practice with contact and be cleared. I didn't hear any of that. Now, all, all of a sudden, it's like, oh, he did a little quick practice. And yeah, he's probably going to play. And then on Monday, I look at the headlines. I see like the news articles, sports articles about this. Oh, Kevin Durant. Yeah, he's playing. I'm like, what? How is he playing? We just you you didn't go by the standard that you said that you were going to go through, and now all of a sudden he's cleared to play. I mean, it's to me it's obvious that because they're losing three one and they need someone of his caliber to play. And I'm like, okay. My thought was that he's not going to be able to play a full game. What ended up happening was a little spoiler for you if you didn't know anything. He he ends up tearing his Achilles. Or rupturing his Achilles, whatever. He had surgery. It's been repaired now, but now he's on the road to recovery. I didn't think that was going to happen. I thought maybe he might hurt himself. I thought he might hurt himself, but I didn't think like he's necessarily going to tear his Achilles doing it. I didn't think he could play the full game because he's someone who can shoot the ball. I was like, he's not going to have issues shooting. He's been someone who's probably been playing basketball his whole life. You know, he's an amazing shooter. That doesn't disappear because you haven't played for a month, right? Because he had done, as far as I'm aware, he has done absolutely no like real physical activity. Maybe he's been doing like uh, physiotherapy or something like that, but he has not been like on the court playing or running or practicing or doing any of that. So shooting, fine. Yeah, he's going to shoot. No question about that. That's going to be fine. That doesn't disappear because nothing wrong with his arms, right? That doesn't disappear. But I was like, is he going to be able to run up and down the court for a whole game? Because basketball, I don't know if you've never played basketball, it's a really intense physical game. Like, you have to run back and forth uh, basically for 48 minutes. So they play four 12-minute quarters. You know, that's a lot of running. This is someone who has been out for a month, something with his leg, whether it's a calf or if it's the Achilles, something with his leg. He hasn't been able to run, you know. Is he going to be able to do it? So I didn't think he was going to last the whole game. I didn't think he, he, would, he was going to be hurt in the way that he was hurt. I just thought maybe he wouldn't be able to take the pain or something, but I didn't think he could keep it up. That was definitely my thought. Beginning of this season, Golden State signs DeMarcus Cousins, another basketball player. If you don't know him, look him up. He's someone who tore his Achilles the year prior. He played in New Orleans. He signed with Golden State because... I don't think I don't think New Orleans is going to take him back. No one's really going to take him because he's coming off an Achilles tear, and that's very difficult. It's like one of the worst injuries you can have for basketball. You know, so he has his Achilles tear. He goes to Golden State pretty much to win a championship to show that okay he's recovered. 
and then you play, and then he's going to sign somewhere else pretty much because New, uh, New Orleans, uh, Golden State is not going to be able to sign all the people they need to sign because there's a cap and all that stuff in basketball. So he does that, right? He he signs there. They're not expecting him to play until like the end of the season because he needs time to obviously recover and uh, train and do physio and whatever he needs to do to make sure his leg is good, his Achilles is good, and then he can play. So he comes in at the end of the season. So he misses most of the season. And I remember when they were like, okay, like he can practice now, right? They did all these steps. He can practice now, and now he's good to play. And then finally he came back and he played in a, a little bit, you know. And then eventually he got hurt in the playoffs. Uh, something different. He tore his quad on his leg, right? And then he's out again for, I forget how much time, but eventually he comes back from that. And even then, too, he didn't come back right away. Like, they had the whole process of that. And now we have, like I said, Kevin Durant, who doesn't, who does not go through that process. He doesn't go through that. They're literally like, yep, you're good. And yep, play now. And then the press conference they had after he tore his Achilles, because you saw him. He, you can look this up. He was dribbling the ball. And then you see it. You see it snap. Like, you can see the jiggly. <laughs> his leg muscle. Yeah, I can't watch it. That kind of stuff kind of grosses me out. But it, you can see it tearing. Like you see something in his leg muscle, like, moving. Right? Like, you know. And then he can't stand, right? He doesn't realize at first. His, I believe it's his right leg. It's back. And then he brings his leg forward. It snaps while his leg is back. And he brings it forward. But then he can't land on it, right? He puts it down, and then as soon as he puts pressure on it, he has to lift it back up, and eventually he hobbles and then starts sitting. And so he's done, right? No one, like I said, I was expecting him not to be able to play a full game. And he had no minute restrictions or anything like that. After the game, after that happens, you know, he gets off the court eventually, and then uh, he's in crutches and he leaves. And then he goes to New York or whatever to do whatever he needs to do. And eventually he has surgery. After the game, you know, the Warriors are pretty much like, yeah, uh, he was cleared by, like, our medical staff. Uh, they were under the impression that he could do no worse. The The most that he could do is re-injure the calf. But nothing worse could happen. And I'm like, okay, like I said, I'm not a doctor, but, like, how do you know that? He didn't do any, like I said, he didn't practice. He didn't do anything. He he just basically showed up. Like, he warmed up for the game that day, and he did, like I said, his little practice that he did before. But he didn't do a full practice. You know, I don't know what they did. Because before, like I said, a couple days prior, they were like, oh, it's not looking good. And then all of a sudden, oh, yeah, our medical team has cleared you to play. To me, that's irresponsible by the Warriors. I know why. They want him out there to win because that brings in money, winning. But it's not worth his overall health. And I know Durant himself, he probably wants to play. I understand that because during this time, people are, like I said, questioning. Oh, are the Warriors better with a Durant? Is Durant... There was also questions coming up saying like, oh, he's doing this like on... He's not that hurt. But he has an ego because... Kevin Durant maybe does have an ego. He's been caught in the past with like burner accounts on Twitter to like shit talk people and stuff like that. And I understand. I mean, I don't understand, but I understand his mindset. You know, we live in an age now where any jackass can <laughs> shit talk you on the internet. Like it's different from like even 10 to 20 years ago, right? For all people, but also athletes, celebrities, whoever. You didn't have 
well, I mean, 10 years ago, you did have Twitter, but let's say 15 years ago, you didn't have Twitter, right? Yeah, you had like stuff on the internet. You can make forums and all that stuff, but it wasn't the wide reach that you have now, right? You couldn't directly contact a person like that, right? And shit talk them and all that stuff. So he's not dumb. He hears all that stuff. I think even if that wasn't happening, you know, he's someone who's competitive. Obviously, he plays basketball. Like, I understand him wanting to play. But the Golden State Warriors should have been like, nah, you can't play. We didn't test. Like I said, if they had done all the necessary steps and he practiced and he was clear for physical contact, normally that's what they do, right? When someone comes back, I see it like in other sports, there's there's steps that they have to go through. And just because it's the playoffs, like I understand like you want to win a championship, but it's not worth someone's well-being. You know, they have to go through the proper steps to say like, yes, okay, you can do this level of physical activity. Yes, okay, this is looking good. We're looking at your calf or your Achilles or whatever. This is looking good. But they don't do that. They just say, yep, yep, we're just going to throw you in there. Yep, you're cleared all of a sudden now to play. And he was looking fine. But again, he didn't really do anything on that leg, as far as I'm aware, unless they're going to come out and say, yeah, this is all the stuff that we did to ensure it. Because there is the possibility that it was just like a freak accident. I don't think it was, because I'm not hearing enough stuff saying that we went through all these procedures, all these steps to make sure that he was healthy, even if he's not 100%, because I understand a lot of people, you know, it's a long season, you play the 82 games, and you have the additional games, whatever you play in the playoffs. Like, no one is, like, 100%. You're tired, your certain parts ache or are in pain. Like, okay, I understand that. But we're talking about, like, a muscle here that has, like, your legs that you absolutely need for all aspects of life, not just sports, you know, and that, I don't think that was tested. It didn't do the proper thing. I saw one video, you know, someone on YouTube is a doctor. Okay. Whatever. I was watching one of the, the channels saying that like, cause like I said, some people were saying like, they don't think it was a calf strain at first. And they think maybe it was the Achilles because of how, like I said, how Durant described when he first uh, had the issue and where he was icing it. Cause they had seen him before. Because uh, he, he did travel with the team and stuff like that. And you saw him in the Air Canada Center. What they call Scotiabank Arena now. But I'm always going to call it Air Canada Center. You know, in the hallways and stuff. He had, like, ice around, like, his lower calf. Closer to the Achilles. So people thought maybe it was that. So there's one doctor saying that, like, maybe it was, let's say it is the calf tear. Or strain or whatever, right? And so he's saying that, like, if there was an issue in the calf. And there was, like, a tear or something. And then there's, like, a scar tissue that forms to bridge the gap, if that healed, because we say after a month that should probably heal, the, according to him, I, don't, I didn't go and fact check this, but the scar tissue was stronger than the muscle tissue. So it's unlikely you would re-tear the same spot once it's fully healed with the scar tissue and all that stuff. Again, like I said, I'm just taking, his, taking him at his word. Okay, fine. But what he's seeing that because of that, now you have the scar tissue here, and now that's going to affect how the load, like the force, the energy, that changes now because of the, the scar tissue that's there. So it can affect how weight or force or energy is distributed through your leg now, through the structures of your leg. And that could have led to the Achilles tear because of that. Because now it's not, it's not the same as it was. It's changed. So that could also be a thing. I don't know if that was the reason. This thing tore, but like again, like I said, they didn't. He didn't do any running. He didn't do anything, he, as far as I know, in terms of practice to see. Hey, can I support 
this leg? Am I in danger of any other type of thing? Like I said, there's a possibility that he was fine and that this is just another freak accident. But I don't know. To me, it's seeming like, no, because they didn't, like I said, they didn't go through those proper steps. And, I, and they should be looking out for him as someone who is their employee. Like, I understand maybe he's leaving again because, like, companies that want the maximum they can get out of you. You've seen it with other people when they get injured, especially athletes. Look at any other person that had their career destroyed through injury. There's a lot of good players out there in any sport who are good, but they have injuries. Right, and then if you're not useful to the team, they cut you. Right, so some people make lots of money, uh, some people like make lots of money, spend it. Some people are not high tier guys. So yeah, you do have athletes that make you know thirty million dollars a year, ten million dollars a year, whatever. But then you have those other players, right, that like round out the team who aren't like the big names. They may they may make less than a million. I forget each league has like a minimum. Each uh, each player has to make. So those guys, you know, if you're someone on that level, who's kind of like a bench warmer or someone less known, you know, if you're not you're not making millions of dollars, but you get injured, then the team, once you're done, they cut you. Like that's it, pretty much. I mean, maybe they have better support stuff now because they have like the most sports leagues have the players unions and all that stuff. You know, even even if it is someone that makes millions of dollars, though, that doesn't mean that you don't take the time to make sure that the person is actually ready to play so they don't get hurt again. So the Warriors should not have let him onto that court. And I understand you want to win a championship. The team, the other players on the team, their fans, you know, that makes sense. But I don't think it's worth someone's well-being because he may not play again. He may play again. He may play again and not be good because of the injury. I don't know. Right now it's still too early because he just injured it, just got repaired. You don't know, right? He may not, like I said, he may not be the same type of player. He may not be able to play again. Well, you know, it's not a life or death situation or anything like that unless there's some kind of other further complication that arises or what have you. But but the Warriors' responsibility is to make sure that any player, not just Kevin Durant because he's Kevin Durant, any player on their team, is their well-being is put ahead of any anything that happens on the court uh you know because you obviously give your time your dedication your life essentially goes into supporting this team by playing right and and the golden state since they've become like a championship caliber team uh because oakland is not necessarily the most affluent area uh I, i'm not like an historian of oakland and all that stuff but i think it's pretty well to do it's okay, as far as I know. It's not San Francisco. If you don't know where Oakland is, it's across the San Francisco Bay. So one side of the bay is Oakland, the other side is San Francisco. San Francisco, obviously, is huge, huge moneymaker in terms of if you've read anything about like housing issues they're having and transportation issues they're having because of like uh, tech companies and all that stuff and other large businesses that have taken up you know, space in San Francisco, all normal average Joe people cannot afford to live there, even though you may work in San Francisco, but you can't afford to live in San Francisco. You know, uh, someone like Golden State, a team like Golden State, that's who they're appealing to, right? Like, after this season, they're moving. They're, they built a new stadium in San Francisco, and the Golden State Warriors are going to move. I don't know if they're going to change their name to San Francisco Warriors, but they're moving 
uh, from Oakland to 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 San Francisco because, like I said, it's a business, right? So they want all the money, all those rich people, right? And they don't want them to go to. Um, I'm I'm guessing the they don't the, the, the all those rich fans don't want to travel over to Oakland. You know, it's easier for the teams in San Francisco. So the the only positive thing I'll say about that is that the new arena that they're built, from what I've read, is privately financed which is the right right call because if you've listened i've talked about other things in previous episodes i'll probably talk about in the future because this is a constant thing of teams trying to get public money to build new stadiums apparently this one was built through uh, through private funding which is fine if you have the money if you're as rich and as successful as you claim to be you should be able to do it on your own without like government handouts it's funny how people don't care about government handouts when it goes to already wealthy corporations, but you know, you want social programs, whether it's education, whether it's healthcare, you know, whether it's unemployment insurance and all that stuff, whether other social social benefits. Oh no, 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 we can't we can't we can't hand those out. But if it's a rich company or a rich sports team of something like Amazon, they're building something, you know. Oh, we can give you all the government handouts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you're already... The money... <laughs> people give money to people who already have money, basically. But anyways, they're moving that there. And why are they moving it there? Because they're a business, right? And that's what they're appealing to. But it still does not remove them from the obligation to take care of the health and well-being of their players. Even if the player might leave. Even if Durant may leave. Which he still may. I don't know. I don't know how this affects his free agency. As long as he is under them in terms of like he he is their employee or they're his employer they still have that obligation even if it's for a championship so even if golden state goes out to win the next two games it's not like for for me it's not worth it to trade his career and i'm not like a huge kevin durant fan i'm like okay he's fine or whatever i got nothing against him but i just don't think that that's that's fair to him or to any player I mean, I understand it's part of a culture playing injured. Like it's it's happened a lot in different sports. I remember, I can't remember how long ago this was. Tiger Woods. I know he just had the he won that tournament. Was it the U.S. Open? I can't remember. He won his first major tournament in like ten years almost or something. But before that, he won the tournament. And he was injured. Uh, was it his spine? I don't know. I know he had back problems, but he was hurt in some way, and he won this tournament. And a lot of people are like, "Wow, yeah, you played through that." that injury you play through that pain like that's just amazing right and a lot of other people are like yo that is really irresponsible you know like so in a societal level like yeah we kind of like praise people for playing hurt and stuff like that. but it's not good though because i'm like you can seriously hurt yourself to the point where like you know you can't function the way that you function whether it's playing sport or whether it's just your general mobility and you're able to get around. Sometimes it could be your life. Usually it's not that extreme, but you know, it's not worth it to play any any sport like that. And I don't think it's something that's commendable to play hurt. And I know people will take it and and say like, oh yeah, like you just don't care enough or whatever. Like, but I'm like, no, it's not worth it for some jackass on the internet. You know, or people even in, in sports media or whatever writing columns or whatever. On, on these shows and stuff to say that you know like you're not tough or whatever because yeah i understand like there's the minor hurting stuff you know like being exhausted being tired having parts ache some parts sore you know if it's within reason yes i understand playing through that i'm not saying any little minor 
inconvenience. Oh, I'm not playing or whatever. Nah, that's not what I'm arguing. I don't think that's what most people are arguing, but like something like that, you know, something that can be pretty serious or can turn serious. Like you shouldn't be playing through injury and we shouldn't be saying to people like, yes, you should, you're, you're tough if you do that. You know, because I don't think hurting yourself are permanently not, I don't say disfiguring yourself, but like being unable to perform the thing that you want to perform, like I said, or just your mobility in general, like that trade-off is not, is not worth it. It's not worth it. All right, so we'll leave that there. That's good. It's good. It's good time. It's good. 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 Good time on that. As you know, I am your podcast person, Pavlo, also known as Pav, also known as Pavi, also known as J Pav, and with me as always is Maggie the Mags on the soundboard here. As I've said at the beginning of the show, and as I say like almost every show, uh, my opinions here or opinions of anyone else. Uh, expressed, like I said, are just our opinions. It's not ultimate truth. I'm not saying that I have all the right answers. Or if you disagree with me, that's totally fine. I'm not saying I can't be wrong about things. I'm just giving you my opinion. That's why you listen. Or maybe you listen for other reasons. I don't know. But yeah, well, that'll do it for for this episode. And yeah, we'll see you in the next one. Peace. <laughs>